This morning's scripture is John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning, church. So glad that you're, you're here with us. Uh, it's great to be together as we uh, start the Gospel of John. And yeah, we'll be in there for pretty much forever. So uh, it's a long book if you don't know it. And there's a lot, a lot of meat in there. I'm excited about it. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, it's just a joy to be together, to worship together. Um, I, like Carolyn said, I feel like God has already met me uh, in places where I needed it this morning, and we just pray that it, He'll continue to do that as we as we look at these words uh, together. So let me let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in to God's word. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you have gathered us into this, into this place, and we we pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take your word written so long ago by your servant John under the inspiration of the Spirit, that you would take that word and root it deep within our hearts. I pray that we would discover more of who we are, who you are, and how we are invited uh, into the life that you have called us to. Give us joy in that this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think it's safe to say that Christmas is officially over, right? Uh, and so now, now we're kind of into that season of winter without the magic, basically, right? Because like, you know, December, it's kind of a weird month, isn't it? Like for, for a few short weeks every single year, almost all of us become sort of believers, right? Uh, even if it's just like in the Christmas spirit, like we, we, we believe the, the best about each other and our, ourselves and, and even, even sometimes in, in God, right? There's something magical about Christmas. And then we put it all back into the box and shove it under the stairs until next year, right? It's kind of what we do, isn't it? Do we also end up putting Jesus away in those moments? You know, at least until Easter or, you know, till we get cancer or whatever comes first, right? It's kind of what we do, isn't it? Well, to answer that, like, what do we do with Jesus now to answer that question? Because again, we've, we've come off the high, we've sung all the songs, we've, we've done all of the Christmas traditions, focused right there on, on baby Jesus and all that he means for us. Like, what do we do with Jesus now? Well, to answer that, we need to go back to one of the oldest records of Jesus's life, written by one of his closest friends. In fact, John is widely considered to be one of Jesus' three closest friends. Perhaps even his very best friend, right? If not his very closest. Like, think about this. Like, if your best friend were to write a detailed account of your life, like, what would they say about you? Like, what would be the stories that they would choose to tell, to, to remember you by? Like, this is what we have when we open the Gospel of John. A detailed account of this, this man that was very dear in John's life, who transformed it immensely, who he knew personally. Like, they traveled together. John heard the stories, like, saw them. Like, he, he heard the, the sermons, all of that. This is what we have 
when we open the Gospel of John about Jesus. And John doesn't want us to put Jesus back into the box. Tucked away until next year, right? In fact, John doesn't even start with Christmas at all. John begins his gospel by going back to like the beginning, beginning, right? Because John wants us to see that Jesus is the new beginning that we need. And so whatever, whatever's brought you to church today, right? No matter what it is, like we all, we all, I think, like I feel like I need a fresh start this morning. We all, I think we all feel that sense. And maybe, you know, maybe you've already failed your New Year's resolutions, right? It's, it's January 9th, like what's wrong with you? But maybe you have, like, well, I probably have too, right? We, we, we set these goals, these expectations on ourselves, or, or maybe, maybe you just carry with you all these kinds of regrets, different heartache that you've had. Like, if that, if that describes you, if you feel like you need a fresh start, like, John's gospel is for you. Because Jesus is the new beginning that we need. And so if you haven't already, turn to John chapter 1. We'll have the, the scripture up here as well, but if you have a Bible with you or have it on your phone, pull that up so you can take a look at it. And like, like I said, uh, today we are beginning a, a new series in John. It's going to take us probably somewhere between 40 and 50 weeks. We haven't quite figured it all out yet. Uh, so a long time. We're going to split it up, though, into three parts. Uh, that, that helps all of us stay fresh with it, uh, including the preachers. So we're going to do it three sections, most likely over like the next 18 months or so. Okay, So that's kind of how we, we imagine it. But this first part of John, uh, we're going to be in up until Easter, and we're going to cover John chapter chapters 1 through 5. So it's just really the, the initial few pages. And again, John wants us to know, like from the very beginning as he starts his gospel, that we cannot put Jesus back in the box. That this isn't, this isn't just some baby born in a manger. In fact, last, last month, my, my three-year-old nephew, I love this little kid, he's so adorable, uh, he, said, he said to his parents, I don't like Jesus. It's like, cool, okay. Uh, especially, like, his dad's a pastor as well, so it's like, oh my, you know, what, what have we done? All of this. And so his parents, of course, lovingly, patiently, like, well, why, why don't you like Jesus? And again, my three-year-old nephew, just this little, little tiny guy, he said, he said, well, because Jesus is a baby. And I don't like babies. He's like, well, okay, that makes sense. Like, I'm with you, right? Graham, you got this. Like, I, I know, right? But listen, Jesus isn't just a baby. And if we stop at, at Christmas, sometimes we, we forget that he actually grew up. And actually, when we start John, he existed long, long before so John begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the word. Now let's, let's actually stop right there. Now you know why it's going to take us 40 to 50 weeks to get through this, right? Can't even get through the first verse. But this is it's kind of a weird way to start, isn't it? In the beginning was the word. It's like, what on earth are you talking about, John? It's a weird way to start. So, so this word, we're going to find out when we get to verse 14, but I'm going to let you in on it now, because uh, verse 14, that's, that's you know, not until next week, um, that this, this word, is an, it's a nickname for Jesus. And we'll unpack what it means a little bit more uh, in, in a few minutes, uh, but it's, he's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, is what he's saying. But this is, this is such a different way to start than the other gospel writers. So Mark, who's probably the first gospel writer, so there's four, right, in our, in our New Testaments, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was probably written first. 
And Mark, he like jumps right in with the stories of Jesus's ministry. Like he just, he can't wait. Uh, and makes sense if he's the first one, right? He just wants, he wants it out there. He wants the stories out there. Now, Matthew and Luke came a little bit later and they, they include the, the stories of Jesus's birth, right? They, they took more time, probably did some research because those stories happened long before they even knew Jesus. And so they had to kind of go back. And so they, they told us the, the Christmas stuff, essentially. But John... John was probably written towards the end of the first century, so quite, quite a bit later, right? He writes last, and by that time, the other three Gospels were already fairly well known. They had traveled around in the various churches at that time. People knew the stories, and John begins differently, and he wants us to know, again, they're, not, they're, not, they're adding to one another, they're, they're painting a, a broad picture of who Jesus is. And he wants us to know that this story is not just an earthly story, mangers and donkeys. It is a cosmic one. It's not just about what happened in the first century, but goes back even before time itself. In the beginning was the word. Now, for the original readers of this, as soon as they heard those words, in the beginning, they would have connected it to Genesis 1. Like, this is how the whole Bible begins. Like, if we were to flip all the way to the start, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so this is, this is John's way of tying the whole story together, that, that Jesus was there even back then, is what John is saying. And, and that Jesus is the start of something new now. It's almost like the world began when God created, and the world began again when Jesus arrived. And when God created the world, I mean, regardless of how we understand the details, he spoke it into existence. Let there be light, and there was light. God creates with a word, and John wants us to know that this word has a name. It's Jesus. That before God spoke creation into being, before he spoke through Moses or the prophets, God's first word is Jesus. A living sermon. The perfect revelation of God. The creator himself. And so here, here's the first reason Jesus can be our new beginning. It's because Jesus is the word that we need. That if, if you want to know God, if you want to know the good life, you have to know his word. And Jesus is that word. He's the word that we need. Now, there are, there are all kinds of voices, right? In our, in our world, there are all kinds of words spoken over us. Like, you know it, I know it. Maybe, maybe you hear words of doubt. Like, you don't really believe all this stuff, do you? Or maybe you hear words of, of, of condemnation. Like, who do you think you are? You never amount to anything. Nobody, how, you're such a mess. Like you make so many messes. Like how could anybody actually love you? Or maybe, maybe it's words of pleasure. Like, well, if, if you only had this, then you'd be satisfied, right? If you only could achieve that. Like we have all these different words. Or maybe, maybe it's just the voice of others that we hear. Your parents, like even if they're gone, we still hear their voices, don't we? The voice of certain friends, colleagues, boss, or a spouse. Like, there are all kinds of words spoken over us. This is the word that we need. Now, for the original hearers, both Jew and Gentile, they, they would have heard this start differently. 
this, this idea of the word. Let me kind of unpack that a little bit uh, because it's, it's, it helps us understand what John means when he says Jesus, when he calls him the word, when he uses this unique nickname. So, for, but both, so both Jew and Gentile, they would have heard it differently, but it would have been appalling to, to either group just for different reasons. So, so for the Jews, like hearing that, that Jesus was God's word, like this would have been blasphemy. Because the word of God, that's like everything. God's spoken word. Like they're, they're thinking of the law and the prophets. It's everything. So how could, how could this man, right, this Nazarene, how could he possibly be God's word? It would have been blasphemy. Now, now for the Gentiles, though, it wouldn't have been blasphemy. It just would have been considered ridiculous. Because in, in the Greco-Roman world, the logos or logos, that's the, that's the Greek word here that's translated as word. It's the word from which we get our word logic, Okay. I know I said word a lot there, but are you following that, right? That's, that's the idea here. And so, and so when, they, when they heard logos, in the beginning was the, was the logos, was the word, they're thinking like some philosophical principle, right? Like a unifying theory of everything. It was a common sort of philosophical idea in the first century, like uh, this, this philosophical ideal, like this, this idea of, of logic. And so John says they're both wrong. It seems like a great way to start your gospel, doesn't it? And John, though, he's, he's writing to convince them and us that Jesus is everything, but he starts off by telling them, telling us, that the word we need isn't just like religious dogma or rules, right? Should have been more of a Jewish understanding of the word. And it isn't just philosophical reasoning or cultural values, the word we need is a person. Again, not, not a set of rules. Like the new beginning you and I need is not just to become better people. Although I'm sure like we could all use that. We all want that. That's something we hope for, certainly. But that's, that's, that's not it. Nor, nor is the good life the end result of a list of philosophical proofs, right? Or figuring out how the world works. Logic is important. And there, there are logical reasons for belief in God, but those will never be enough to know God. Real belief is based on a different word altogether. And his name is Jesus. And as, as shocking as this is today, right? And as shocking as this, this would have been in the first century, John, like, verse one, right? The first few words out of his mouth, he is saying, Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. And I've met him. I've seen him. Even though he existed even before the beginning of the beginning, he was my friend. And I want you to know him too. It's a pretty bold claim, right? I mean, he's not, he's not waiting to, to get there. Uh, is his gospel. He's not like trying to ease us in. Right out of the gate, in the beginning was the word. And that changes everything. And yet, as bold as that claim is, John is about to take it one step further with an even bolder claim. Still in the same sentence, right? For Jesus isn't just the word that we need. He's also the God we need. Jesus is the God we need, not just a, a good teacher or a moral advisor, not just one option among many. According to John, he is the one God who made the world. Again, look at, look at verse 1. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And this right here is why Christians in the first century and throughout history and even in many places today are so hated. Like this, that, that, that sentence right there, like those words, those couple sentences, this is what makes our faith so repugnant to so many. Because again, go, go back to the first century. Uh, for the Jewish audience, first century Jewish audience, and remember, like John was Jewish, right? Jesus was Jewish. Most of the first Christians were Jewish. And yet for a Jewish person to call a man Jesus, God, is blasphemy punishable by death. Like there was no, there was no category for this, no precedent except death. Now on the other hand, right, again, the... the because John is also writing this for, for Gentiles, for the Greco-Roman world, like, they didn't care how many gods you had. Like, it, it was a very pluralistic culture, not, un, not unlike our own, honestly. You could have, you could have all kinds of gods, because the Romans kept conquering people, and they weren't going to take away anyone's religion, because that would just cause more problems, as long as all the religions could just sort of get along, right? So that, that was kind of the Romans' idea. It's like, that's fine, you can believe this, you can believe that, you can believe that. I mean, it's, again, very similar kind of to our own sort of pluralistic culture. So, like, nobody would have cared if John had said, Jesus is a really good person to follow. He had some great ideas. He was a really good teacher, or even, like, he was a prophet, a guru, like, whatever. Or even if he had said, you know, Jesus, he is divine, but he's one God among many. We'll just add him to our list of gods. Nobody would have cared if John had written that. And so why, why did Rome try to wipe these Christians off the face of, this, of the earth? Because that was their response to this. Like, why, why was John likely writing this gospel in exile on the island of Patmos, like for being a, a proclaimer of these things, while most of his friends, like, all, all, like the other Christians in his life, the other apostles, disciples, like they had already all been executed. Why? It's because Christians have always, always, always said that Jesus is not partially God, not kind of God, not mostly God, not one God among many, but God, the God. The creator God, the only God. And this, this will get you killed in the first century. It will get you killed in other places around the world today. And this will certainly cause people to despise us. Again, no, nobody, nobody cares if you go up and be like, hey, you know, I've learned some really good things about Jesus. I'm going to try to like obey some of his commands. Everybody's like, fine, great. He said a lot of nice things. But the moment, the moment we say, Jesus is the king of the universe, the creator of all things. He is my judge and your judge, and all of us owe everything to him, all allegiance. Like, that's, that's a little different, right? Like, that's something that's going to cause people to despise us. And while, while we, we cannot fully grasp it, the scriptures clearly teach, and Jesus himself proclaims, that we have one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That our, our God is Trinity, and there is no other. 
And again, John does not want us to miss this, right? In, in verse 1, like, like he's, we've got a long ways to go, people, but he, he, he's just getting warmed up, and he's got a ton of stories to tell. But in verse 1, Jesus is not just one option among many. He isn't just a great guy to follow, give a few years to, right? Take him or leave him. No, Jesus is either our only hope in life and death, or he is a fool to be ignored, or a sociopath to be locked up. And John is saying to every human, which will it be? What will you do with Jesus? I've got to ask, like, like, John and Jesus were best friends. I mean, even just think about that for a moment. Like, the time that they spent, like, I have a best friend. Uh, his name is Ryan. He works at Garmin. We've been friends for a really long time. We uh, have, our families have dinner together every Thursday. Uh, we've gone on va- vacations together as families. Um, I've known Ryan for 14 years, maybe a little longer, and we know each other really, really well. And maybe, maybe you have a best friend or a really close friend as well. And let me just, like, let me ask, like, what would it take? Like, what would your friend have to do in order for you to one day say about them later on, in the beginning was Ryan, and Ryan was with God, and Ryan was God? Not, I, like, there's nothing, right? Like, well, like, Ryan would have to surprise me a ton. Like, there's no, I love Ryan, But there's no way I'm going to say that, and there's no way you're going to say that about your friend, unless, like, there's got to be something that happens that changes everything, that causes him to begin to say, no, this, this was more than just a friend, right? This was my God. How could John possibly say this? Well, it's because Jesus did surprise him. And he's going to take the rest of this book, these 21 chapters, for us, 40 or 50 weeks, to show us just exactly how he came to this conclusion about his friend. But why? Like, why does John do this? Why all the effort? Why all the risk? Again, most likely he's already been forced into exile, like living alone on this island because it's like the Romans wanted to push him away where he could you know, do no harm, essentially. Most likely by this point, all the other disciples have been executed for telling their others about their friend, Jesus. It's like, think about it. Like, what would motivate him at this point? Because I'm sure he'd heard some of the stories. Like, we're not, we're not exactly certain how all of them died, the disciples. But it's widely documented. Okay, Paul was beheaded by the Romans. Peter was crucified upside down by the same. Andrew preached in Turkey and Greece, where he was eventually crucified. Thomas proclaimed the gospel as far as India, where he was likely speared to death. Philip took the good news to North Africa, and then Asia, where he was cruelly executed for converting the wife of a Roman official. For Matthew, there are, there are varying accounts, but it's believed by some that he was stabbed to death as a missionary in Ethiopia. Uh, Bartholomew told people about Jesus in India, Armenia, Ethiopia, and Arabia, and there have been various accounts about how he was murdered. James likely ministered in Syria, where Josephus, the famous historian, reports that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot went to Persia, but was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias likely died as a missionary in Syria by burning. Thaddeus also was killed in Syria. And then the other, the other James, there were two Jameses, right? The other James, which is John's brother, was the first to be killed, beheaded. 
And then there's John. Like, that's it. He's the last one. An old man in exile. I just wonder, how many, how many of these stories had he heard about his friends? How long had he been grieving the loss of his own brother? John knows that by writing this down for us, he's going to make his life worse. So why does he do it? Because he knows that Jesus is not just the word we need or not even just the God we need, that he's the life we need. Our only hope in life and death, that Jesus is the life we need, that he is our new beginning. Verse, verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And as we get through these 21 chapters of John uh, together, John talks a lot about the life. Like he, he uses that word, that imagery, a lot. And typically when he, when he does, when he talks about life, he, he's referring to two things. One is probably what many of us would think of. He's talking about eternal life. Like there's, that be, Jesus came out of the grave, right? That's, that's the punchline at the end of the story. That's the big surprise that John had. There was a lot of little surprises along the way, but that was, the, that was the, the cataclysmic one. He came out of the grave and that Jesus promises that all who are with him, all who follow him, he's going to show us one day how to do the same, that we will come out of the grave alive. And so that, that's one half of what John means by life. But that's not all for John. Because John also, when he uses the word life, he means life now. Right now, this moment, not, not surviving, not, not scrounging together along, like to, trying to, to make the most of our existence, not piecing together a life built on pleasure or comfort, power or greed. No. When John says life, he's talking about the good life, the best life, the fullness of life, a, a joy-filled life, not an easy life, because there's anything but that for John, not a comfortable life but a life listening to the word, experiencing the love of our God, and walking in the way in which he gives to us. Because John makes it really clear why he's writing, actually. Like, he, he tells us exactly why. It, it comes almost at the end of, of the book. Um, and it's not because he thinks we'll find it interesting, right, or even inspiring. Not because he wants to give us a few rules or, or you know, writing it like a fiction to entertain us, right? Here, here's what he says all the way in chapter 20, says, I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name, life now and life forever. And this, church, this is the new beginning we need. And so as we, as we begin this journey together, we're just barely at the beginning of his words. We've got a long way to go. But as we do, I want to suggest two next steps for us from this morning as we think about this life-giving word first. If this is who John, if this, these are the claims that John is making and that we're going to see that Jesus himself makes, then we have to take the word seriously. We have to take him, Jesus, seriously. And I, I understand if you, don't, if you don't believe these things, or, or maybe, maybe you do, but you have serious doubts or questions like, I, like, like I get that, I really do, but you, you can't put Jesus back in the box. 
till next year. Because I, I realize, like, faith is hard, right? It's really hard. I, mean, there's, there's, I don't think there's a day that goes by in my life that I do not struggle in some way with my own doubts. I, I always have. But the reality is, and this is what we often forget, is that all of life, really, if we're honest, is lived by faith, right? Like, even, even if you're not a Christian, you, you are living by faith in something, something that tells you your life matters, something that tells you to get up in the morning, to get out of bed, right? Something that you think is going to satisfy you or make you whole. All of us live by faith in something. For example, Glenn Scrivener writes, I love this, it's a little snarky, but it's good. Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. And at least, at least with this one, John's miracle, there's life. And maybe, maybe, maybe you hear that, you're not ready to like, I'm not going to sign up for anything. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to give my life to him now. That's, I totally understand that. Like, we'll be patient. We can be patient with one another. But will you at least, walking out of this time together today, will you take him seriously? Not, not ser- simply as some legend written down long ago or you know, something that we kind of piece together as a good teacher, but actually take him seriously as he demands we take him seriously. And so, for example, like, if you've got questions about, like, join us here. Come. Be a part of this with us. We're going to, again, we're going to be looking in detail at this ancient document for many weeks to come. Start reading the Gospels for yourself. Maybe start by reading the Gospel of John, even just to see what, you know, what is John trying to communicate? Who is Jesus, really? But this is where we begin. We've we got to take the word seriously. And then second, take the word with you. Take Jesus with you. And so if you, if you are a Christian, like this is the life that we have, not just a life that we're waiting for, but one that we have now, the good life. Again, not an easy life, not a comfortable life, but a good one. Are, are you living that out even now through, through obedience, through community, through generosity, by loving your neighbors, by loving your enemies, at work, at home, at school? You know, we often talk about being a church for Monday, right? That's who we want to be as a church. We want to be a church for all of life, not just for something that we gather and celebrate on Sundays, but that permeates through everything that we do. And if, and if you're not taking Jesus with you as you walk out these doors, I mean, what are we doing, people? I mean, for example, Carolyn mentioned E90, right? Grab a journal, or at least grab the bookmark, okay? Everybody's got to grab this. You know, not everybody needs the, the journal necessarily, but grab, grab one of these for sure on your way out and fill it out this week. Take it seriously. Take, take time to think through who are the people that you're going to dedicate these next 90 days to just praying for, that they, that they will receive the word of life, Jesus. And that maybe we can even, you can be a part of, of bringing that word to them. This is why John writes. This is, this is what he wants for me, for you, that we may believe and have life. And this is what our Jesus, the word, what he offers to us. That out of, his, out of his great love for us, he came to get us, to get you. He came for you. He is God's word to you, the word that we need. He's the new beginning that we desperately need. 